Thank you so much. Please be seated. So, this is the fourth part on marriage, divorce, remarriage, and sex, and we're finishing it up today. And if you've followed any of these teachings, you know where I'm going to go first. God is love. God is love. His will is always best. Second, God knows everything. He has already thought it through. So when he gives you advice, it is already thought through. And finally, God is almighty. He can enable you to accomplish his will. And that's what he will do. So here's what we've learned so far. This is a quick review. Marriage was designed and planned and created by God. And it was designed, first and foremost, for those men and women who had a relationship with him. That's how he envisioned marriage to work. Marriage is something that is established by a covenant. A covenant is a sacred, and it's the strongest promise that you can make. Now, divorce, on the other hand, is the formal severing of the covenant of marriage. It cancels both the marriage and its obligations, and it allows the man and the woman to remarry if that is their choice. In the cases where God allows divorce, it is always to prevent even greater harm or evil in the lives of of his people. And before I really get into what I want to cover, I want to encourage those of you uh, who are married. If you are married and you feel that your marriage has been cooling or the passion has been disappearing, it doesn't mean that your marriage is over. It only means that your marriage needs attention. Do you get rid of your car when it has a flat tire? No, you don't. So come forward for help if you need it. There's nothing that God can't solve. For Christians, divorce is never inevitable. Don't allow your heart to be hard about this. See, the devil is a deceiver. And he deceives people into thinking that they cannot be satisfied or fulfilled in their current marriage. For the Christian, that is a dangerous lie. So don't buy it. You know, he's peddling it. You don't have to buy it. You don't have to accept every idea that's tossed your way. Don't entertain it. God has help. Now, we covered divorce last week, and we looked at it in both the Old Testament and in the Gospels and found that God permitted divorce when aspects of the marriage covenant were broken. More specifically, it is the unrepentant and repeated breaking of the marriage covenant that would allow for divorce. And these reasons that God gives in his word include adultery, it includes neglect, it includes abuse, and what we're going to look at this morning, it also includes abandonment. Jesus reaffirmed what God had said in the Old Testament, and he added to it. He basically summarized all of divorce as occurring because of the hardness of the human heart. So when people allow their hearts to get hard, that is when they go down the path of divorce, and one or both sides of the marriage. There is one additional cause for divorce 
that God permits, that he recognizes and establishes in his word. And neither Moses or Jesus covered this. I don't think it was even anticipated in the Old Testament or the Gospels. And it is the case of divorce by abandonment between an unbeliever and a Christian. Remember I told you that marriage was designed for those who first and foremost had a relationship to God. What happened, though, as Christianity began to spread is people would come to Christ who were already married, and their spouse may or may not have wanted to join them in following Jesus Christ. So the believers had questions. Well, what do we do in this situation? What are my obligations or my responsibilities when I find myself in a marriage to someone who is not a Christian? Well, God addresses these concerns, And he does so in a loving and practical manner that is still applicable today. You know, as we read in 1 Corinthians here, and we've been in Corinthians a good bit during this series, you have to remember that Moses, Jesus, and Paul all either spoke or wrote by revelation. They will not contradict one another, although at times they are going to be looking at different situations and circumstances that require different wisdom to be applied. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12. It says, To the rest I say, I, not the Lord. Well, let me just stop there. Paul isn't just making it up as he goes along. What he is clearly saying here is he is going to address something that the Lord Jesus Christ did not address. But Paul is still speaking by revelation. He says that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of the wife. I want you to think about that. How huge is the new birth that the holiness of the Christian wife extends as a covering over her non-Christian husband? That is remarkable. That is absolutely remarkable. And the unbelieving wife is made holy It doesn't say, you know, the unbelieving wife is okay. It says the unbelieving wife is made holy. That is remarkable. Otherwise, your children will be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. Now, things at times need to be treated differently in Scripture when you're dealing with believers versus unbelievers, Christians versus unbelievers. For example, Christians are told not to take one another to court. But there is no prohibition against taking an unbeliever to court, only against taking a believer to court. Here, that very same concept is applied in a loving and practical way to marriage. Because of their relationship to God, Christians have resources to help them in reconciliation and forgiveness that the unbeliever simply does not have. If a non-Christian divorces you, then as Paul said, let them go. That's the end. However, please note that the non-Christian spouse as well as the children are all holy before God. That is just 
remarkable to me that God would do that. Now, 1 Corinthians 7.15 that we read deals with divorce due to abandonment by an unbelieving spouse. That's something that neither Moses nor Jesus ever addressed. So God has Paul address it. I'm going to give you something that Paul didn't address. And that is when two Christians are married and one of them chooses at some time in their life to reject God and to walk off. I've actually seen that more uh, frequently in my counseling over the years than I have seen where a couple, of, a non-believer and a believer got married. And it's sad, but it does happen. And I believe that God would have us apply this first, this wisdom that we just read here if a situation like that comes up. Now I want to turn to remarriage. You know, I wanted to cover this sub, these subjects. A lot of people do teachings and weekends on marriage, right? Marriage, big topic. So we covered marriage. Less frequently covered is sex. Less frequently covered, not less frequently thought about. Almost never covered is divorce. Very few people teach on what the Bible says about divorce. And as I covered that last week, the reasons are they have misunderstood many of the scriptures. Same is true when it comes to remarriage. And one important thing that has come up repeatedly throughout this series is that we need to understand the cultural context of the Bible. We are far removed from the time and place of the original recipients of the Scriptures. And this can lead at times to major misunderstandings. At times it doesn't matter at all. Do not steal. Okay, do you think they understood that 2,000 years ago? Do you understand that? Okay, great. Other things are not as clear when you don't understand the cultural context. Divorce was the clear example of that. When they came and asked Jesus, is it lawful to divorce, for a man to divorce his wife for any cause, most people in the West have taken that to mean, is it ever lawful to have a divorce? Of course, that's a stupid question to a Jew, because divorce is in the law. Therefore, divorce is lawful. They weren't asking Jesus if divorce is ever lawful. They were asking him if at any cause divorce was lawful. Any cause was a legal term, a rabbinical term to describe, I can just get rid of my wife for any reason whatsoever, as opposed to what the scriptures say, that a divorce was acceptable to God if there was adultery, neglect, or abuse. That's what God had said. The Jews had figured out, well, how about if I just don't like how she made my breakfast? or that she gained weight after she gave birth to my kids. Can I get rid of her then? Jesus, of course, says no. But you see, if you don't understand the cultural context of that, you and many Christians have over the centuries completely missed the point of Matthew 19. So first we need to find out the meaning of the passage to the original hearers. Then we can understand it and apply it to our own life. And that's why we recognize and look at figures of speech in the Bible as well as considering customs in Bible times that differ from customs in our time. You know, we have that even, there are customs in America that differ from customs in Europe. There are customs in America that differ from customs in Asia today. Can you only imagine the difference when you have 2,000 years involved? So what does God say about those who are divorced or widowed getting remarried? Who can be remarried and under what circumstances? Can those who are divorced and remarried serve in the church? 
These are important questions that people have asked for centuries. And the church has often provided callous, conflicting, and ungodly answers to those questions. What we want to do is see what does the Bible actually say about this. God, not surprisingly, has very different answers than most people have heard. See, and and here's the interesting thing about remarriage. On the one hand, God does not say a whole lot about remarriage for the simple reason that if you were single, divorced, or widowed, it was universally understood that you could get married if you so chose. That was the whole point, as I taught last week, of the certificate of divorce that Moses said they had an issue. The certificate of divorce said the woman was free to marry any Jewish man. That's what it said. The whole purpose of the certificate of divorce was to guarantee the legal right of remarriage. So where people have gotten the idea that you can't remarry, I'm not quite sure. We have copies of divorce certificates from Bible times. They've survived. And they say just that. Even Roman divorce certificates indicate the right to remarry. So there's no reason to believe that God's heart changed about marriage, divorce, and remarriage after Pentecost. There are things that changed after Pentecost, and God always identifies them. And the things that changed basically are those things in the Old Testament that had to do with your relationship to God. That's why the sacrificial system of the Old Testament is not in place. I don't care how many Sundays you've been here, we've never slaughtered a bullock up here. Because that has been replaced. Now let's look at remarriage then from the scriptures and see what God has to say. And we're going to start with the most straightforward aspect of remarriage, and that is the remarriage of widows. In Romans chapter 7, why don't we look at verse 2. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Then in verse 3. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. A widow can certainly remarry. But she's not under any obligation to remarry, at least not in the New Testament. Younger widows were encouraged to remarry. Paul says this in 1 Timothy 5.14. He says, so I would have younger widows marry. So, can widows remarry? Yes, absolutely, very clearly. What about those who are divorced? Can they remarry? Again, since remarriage was so universally accepted and understood after divorce, this doesn't get a whole lot of ink. But there is a verse in Mark that has been misunderstood, just like the verses in Matthew 19. It has been misunderstood to make it appear as though there is a critical obstacle for the divorced getting remarried. Let's take a look at it. Mark chapter 10, verse 11. For he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. Now this statement in Mark has been misinterpreted to mean that if you remarry after divorce, you are in a perpetual state of sin. I've heard people say that. I've also heard people say that even if you get divorced, you are still married in God's eyes. 
Well, that's not what the divorce certificate of Moses said. The church I was raised in didn't accept divorce for any reason ever, period. And even today, in many Christian churches, they will tell you that you can divorce your spouse for adultery, but not for attempted murder. Makes no sense. Because people don't understand the cultural background of Scripture and what Jesus is talking about. Because you see, if what Jesus said is, is, means what many people think it means, here's what happened. Jesus just changed the laws of adultery for the, in the Old Testament, the laws of divorce in the Old Testament. He just changed them. But Jesus said in Matthew 5.19 that he did not come. To, he's not going to change any of the law. He'll fulfill aspects of it, but he's not going to change any of it. If he has now made divorce illegal, he's changed. So there's got to be a problem here. Got to be something here that we're not seeing correctly. And there is. This section in Mark is talking about the same any cause divorce that we covered in Matthew 19 last week. And you can listen to that if you'd like to get more details on that. What Jesus said has nothing to do with the permitted divorces from the Old Testament. They are still in force. Also in Matthew here, we have a a figure of speech. It's called hyperbole, which means an exaggeration for effect. Jesus is making a point very forcefully that the any cause divorce that was so popular with the Jews is illegitimate. What it is really is nothing but a ploy for legalized adultery. Because as you'll understand, when you, when you see in Scripture, a divorce is, is valid whether it was made for good reasons or bad reasons. It was still valid. So Jesus is putting the lie to, to bed the lie that you can divorce for any reason and that's okay with God. This passage has a clear message, but it's not the message that most people have thought. The message of this verse is that divorce for any cause is unacceptable. Just like today, divorce for irreconcilable differences or no-fault divorce. That's what we call it today. They called it the any-cause divorce. God isn't a fan of either of those things. Now, when we look at remarriage, there are several sections of Scripture in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is full of what I would call case studies. Okay, these case studies show us how to apply God's wisdom to specific situations. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are full of these. They're just little vignettes showing us how you apply God's heart to this situation. And we're going to read a couple of these today, one from Ezekiel and one from Deuteronomy. And this particular example has to do with the remarriage of priests. Now, this doesn't apply to us today because we don't have priests. Actually, we have one. We have a high priest named Jesus Christ. So, this doesn't apply to the Christian today because we don't have a priesthood like they did in the Old Testament. We're going to read this because it's going to show you something about remarriage if you read it and understand what he's saying. Ezekiel 44. I'm sure you all go to Ezekiel all the time, right? That's one of your favorite books. That's one of those books when you open your Bible, it's like, Ezekiel still smells new. Ezekiel 44:22 They referring to the priest shall not marry a widow or a divorced woman but only virgins or unmarried women of the offspring of the house of Israel or a widow who is the widow of a priest 
Now, I'm not going to go into the reasons behind this ritual requirement. It only applied to priests. And, by the way, it therefore no longer applies. The priests, the point of this whole record is that priests were not allowed to do what everyone else was allowed to do. By writing this verse, God is saying, no, no, the priests are an exception. Otherwise, anybody can marry a single, divorced, or widowed man or woman. You're fine with that, except priests who have a couple of restrictions. So this just shows you how widespread remarriage was by showing you the few exceptions to remarriage. And, of course, this doesn't apply anymore. Remarriage after divorce was the primary reason that God instituted the certificate of divorce, which I went over last week. Now, I want to look at Deuteronomy. We we looked at Deuteronomy last week. Again, this will indicate how remarriage after divorce is fully acceptable to God, but it's going to go on something further. It says in verse 1 of Deuteronomy 24, When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her. Again, this indecency Jesus identified as adultery. Okay, that's what this means. And he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out from his house, and she leaves his house and goes and becomes another man's wife. Perfectly acceptable. After divorce, perfectly acceptable to get remarried. In fact, it was generally expected, especially in a woman's case if she was still in childbearing age. And now she's in her second marriage. And if the latter husband turns against her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of her house, or if the latter husband dies who took her to be his wife, then, verse 4, her former husband who sent her away is not allowed to take her again to be his wife. God spells this out. Because in the ordinary course of events, you would anticipate that this woman, after her second husband had died, could marry whomever she pleased, right? That's the assumption behind this verse. So what God is doing is just saying, no, there's an exception to this. And it's an exception that, again, had to do with some Old Testament ritual that is not applicable to us today. But the point I'm trying to make here is remarriage was so universally accepted that God has to point out those narrow times when he regulates it, okay? Other than that, it's perfectly acceptable. And neither of these two examples apply today, by the way. Now, I realize that divorce and remarriage can be complicated issues. Sin always complicates life. And Every divorce is caused by sin on somebody's part, one way or the other. But you know what? God can untangle your life, no matter how complicated it might be. So we're going to turn to the church epistles now and see how remarriage is handled in the church age. And again, I'm going to explain some of the context of Corinth so that you can understand this a little better than you might by simply reading it. Now, let's read in verse 10 of of 1 Corinthians 7. To the married, I give this charge. Not I, but the Lord. So you know what that tells you? That tells you that Paul is about to repeat something that was taught by the Lord. He is going to repeat and introduce and restate things that were already known. Now, they might not have been known to the Christians at Corinth, but they had already been taught by the Lord. That's what this is saying. Whereas earlier we read, Paul was telling them something that the Lord hadn't taught. The wife should not separate from her husband, 
But if she, parentheses, verse 11. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce or send away his wife. Now, the word divorce there is not the common word for divorce. It really means to send away. And I'll show you why. Because this section uses legal terminology that would have been easily recognized by anyone living in a Roman city like Corinth. Just like last week I told you, all the Jews would recognize what the Pharisees meant when they said, is it lawful to divorce a wife for any cause? All the Jews knew what that meant. All the Romans would understand what it meant to, have, to be separated, to have divorce by separation. See, under Roman law, a husband could divorce his wife by sending her away. A wife could divorce her husband by simply leaving the house. This is like the most easy method of divorce ever devised by human mind. It's even easier than the Jewish any cause divorce because they at least required a certificate of divorce. This required nothing. You move out, you consider yourself divorced. Jesus was not a fan of the any cause divorce. Paul is not a fan of the, I got tired of you, so I left divorce. Neither of them were okay by God. Now, the Lord in this verse, of course, refers to Jesus Christ. He had already spoken about marriage. You can read about it in the Gospels. One of the things he said, what God has joined, let no man separate. Now, it doesn't say man can't separate, does it? It says that he shouldn't. So I've had people say, well, you, I've had people say, well, you're still, if you get divorced, you're still married because, you know, you can't separate. It doesn't say that. It's, uh, he's warning you against divorce. He's not saying it's impossible. Of course, I like the positive side of that. When a man or woman makes a covenant before God, God steps in to join them. That's a big difference between that and a civil ceremony. It's a big difference between what you get at the County of DuPage. What you get from God is way better. You got a lot more help there. Now, the parentheses of verse 11 is merely a restatement of encouragements in the Gospels and in the Old Testament. If you are divorced, God would prefer repentance and reconciliation. And that can't happen if you remarry. But we have seen that since divorce itself dissolves the marriage, the two are free to marry Again, if they choose. But again, God would like to see if there could be repentance and reconciliation. It's not always possible. A few verses later, we'll see Paul just say, hey, if you get married, that's fine. See, even if divorce is based on disobedience and hard-heartedness, it is still a divorce. The reasons might not be legitimate, but the divorce is real for both parties. A divorced person is unmarried. And God treats the divorced person as an unmarried person. And if you are unmarried, you can get married. That's the, the, the simplicity of it. Now, if this verse were to take it that the woman could never or the man could never remarry, you know what that is? That makes divorce the unforgivable sin. That makes, not only is it the unforgivable sin, it's, it makes divorce a sin that has a, continually, a continuing punishment. Mainly, you can't get married. That's not what it's talking about at all. We'll see shortly that Paul does allow for divorced people to remarry, just as Jesus did, just as Moses did. But they are first encouraged to repent and reconcile if possible. Not always possible. 
But if possible, that's what God would like. How long should somebody wait? (laughs) The Bible doesn't give an answer to that. Every situation is unique. Here's my suggestion. If you're divorced and you're wondering, you pray, you talk to God, and see what He has to say. I'm not going to spell it out for you. A divorce, even if forced upon you, implies the right to remarry as surely as the death of a spouse implies the right to remarry. Now let's go to 1 Corinthians 7.25. Another section that has not been understood because we have not recognize what's going on in this section. Again, this is talking to Corinth. They were a Roman city with a particular history going on at this time that Paul is addressing. It says, now concerning virgins. I'm going to use this virgin. Now, that, that's the correct translation, but it means this unmarried woman. An, uh, an unmarried woman who has never before been married. That's what it's talking about. Now concerning unmarried women, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. Again, this doesn't mean that Paul is just making it up as he goes along. I deal with like th- things like this all the time in counseling. You might come to me and you have a unique situation for which I don't have, you know, okay, go to Jeremiah twenty-five twelve. There's your answer. Sometimes you have that, sometimes you don't. So you know what we do? We give wisdom based on the Scriptures, and that's what Paul is doing here. Based on the Scriptures, taking into account what's going on in Corinth in the 50s of the first century. Verse 26, I think then that this is good in view of the present distress. That's your key, that something specific is being spoken of here. In view of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is, whether he's married or unmarried. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Don't seek a divorce. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life, and I am trying to spare you. The trouble that Paul is talking about is the present distress that obviously everybody who received this letter knew about, but that we don't. But we do know that there was something going on in Corinth that would make it easier if for this time being you just didn't get married. Just keep things as they are. We know historically that during the 50s of the first century there were recurring famines in Greece. And that would make it perhaps not the best time to start a family. Similar to uh, people don't often have children during war. That's why I'm a baby boomer. My parents started having kids after the war, not during the war. In their case, it was the Korean War, but the the biggest bulk of us came out of World War II. This, This is what Paul is saying. It's just practical wisdom. Hey, there's a problem going on. It might be better till we waited till this present distress eased a bit. The main point here is that although Paul tells the married to remain so and the divorced to remain single, he then adds, if they married, that's not sin. I'm just trying to spare you problems. This is true for widows, those abandoned by unbelievers, and for the divorced. It applied to everyone. God definitely allowed for remarriage. Even though he he prefers at this point in Corinth that they remain as they are. He provides for remarriage. And for those who had never been married, he said, okay, look, if you get married, that's okay. An interesting point about remarriage 
is stated later in 1 Corinthians, and it's about widows again, which you would think are the clearest case. But in 1 Corinthians 7.39, it says, a wife is bound as long as her husband lives. Well, that's just a restatement of Romans. But if her husband is dead, she is free to be married. Here's the new part. To whom she wishes only in the Lord. Are widows the only people who can marry whomever they like? Are the rest of us stuck with some other way that we have to get married? No. What God is saying here is that widows now enjoy the same privilege in remarriage that everyone else had because in the Old Testament, widows were the only people who could not marry whoever they wanted. They had to marry. If, if a woman was a widow and she had no children, then she was required to marry one of her brothers-in-law. It again had to do with Old Testament law and keeping the land within its tribal allocations. Doesn't apply today, as you can clearly see, because God just said they can marry whomever they want. So now widows can do what everybody else could already do. Every single woman, every divorced woman could always marry whomever they chose. Now that's been extended to widows as well. This replaces, by the way, what we saw in Deuteronomy 24. So that woman who was married, divorced, married, widowed, or divorced, she could remarry her first husband if she so chose. That's been changed because she can marry whomever she wishes. Let's consider one final topic, and that is leadership after divorce, leadership in the church. Many churches forbid divorced or remarried people from serving in ministry. But that is not in God's word. God has qualifications for being a leader, for being an elder. They're in 1 Timothy and in Titus. If you meet those qualifications, you may serve as an elder. And there is no indication in either Titus or Timothy that divorce disqualifies you from leading. Although generally speaking, if an elder who gets, someone who is already an elder just gets divorced, they might need some time to forgive and to heal before continuing to lead. You know why that's the case? Because God is always concerned about you more than what you do. So he wants you to heal before you go off and do something else like lead in his church. Now, what if the one who desires to be an elder is one who sinned in getting the divorce? What if that's the case? Well, if they have repented, you know what God does? Puts them in a penalty box, right? No. If they've repented, God forgives. Can repentant thieves or liars or even murderers like the Apostle Paul ever serve as elders? Well, obviously, yes. Either we believe in forgiveness, repentance, and reconciliation, or we don't. And you know what churches do? They add stipulations that God never added. It's tragic. It is devilish when people treat divorced men and women like they're second-class citizens. Absolutely devilish completely contrary to God's word and heart. Each situation needs to be handled uniquely with prayer and looking towards God. So let me do a review here as we're closing up. If you are married, God would like you to enjoy the gift of marriage. Don't allow your heart to become hardened. God has blessed this covenant and he will enable you to walk in it in a way that will be a joy and a blessing for you. 
If you struggle in your marriage, come for help. You know what I've, often, I've found many times, I won't say often, but many times, by the time a couple comes to me for marriage counseling, they are so far gone that there's already hardness of heart in there. If they just came at the first sign of trouble, it would have been easier to get to their hearts. But many times people don't do that because the devil wants to isolate you. That's what he wants to do. He wants to isolate you so that he can work you over like a punching bag and get you hard-hearted. That's what he's trying to do. Don't fall for it. If you struggle, come for help. And the first step in help is always to reaffirm Jesus as your Lord and your relationship to God as a son or daughter. Now, if you are divorced, there are a couple of different situations that are covered in God's Word. If you initiated the divorce for reasons that God recognizes, things such as adultery, abuse, neglect, or abandonment, then you are free to remarry. But you should first be sure that you have forgiven your partner before you get remarried, forgiven your former spouse, and check with God as to whether reconciliation would ever be possible again. He'll tell you. If your divorce was forced upon you by a spouse that had turned their back on God and therefore their marriage, then you need to forgive them and to seek God's wisdom as to how long you might want to wait before you would just get remarried or whether you want to be remarried at all. You certainly are able to remarry if you choose, but how long you might wait is a matter between you and God. If you are the one who initiated a divorce and you did so for invalid or sinful grounds, then you will burn in hell. Wait, no, that's not what's going to happen. Then you need to repent. That's what you need to do. Divorce, even for wrong reasons, is not the unforgivable sin. It's not that any church calls it the unforgivable sin. They just treat it like it's the unforgivable sin. Reconciliation may or may not be possible, but forgiveness is always possible. You can go to God and receive your forgiveness. Remember David? David was knee-deep in sin. He committed adultery, had the husband killed, married the widow, lied to cover it up. But you know what he did also? He repented. So David does not go down in history as a murderous adulterer. He goes down as a man after God's own heart. And what David did is far worse than most people. Actually, it's far worse than anyone who I've ever counseled through divorce. God forgives sin. That's it. God forgives sin. That's what the cross is all about. Let's remember that. And if we really believe that, then you need to understand that people after divorce, even if they were, if they were the wounded ones or if they were the ones who instigated it, they have the same right to move forward after forgiveness as you do for, you know, stealing a candy bar. Even the person responsible for a sinful divorce may certainly remarry after repentance and forgiveness and after taking care of any responsibilities they might have toward their first family if reconciliation is impossible. Again, you talk to God. I have been blessed, very blessed in fact, because some of these people I've known for decades. I have been blessed to officiate at several weddings where believers who had been divorced got remarried. 
Now, I approach these marriages the same way as I approach any other with the additional counseling of helping them work through any repentance and forgiveness issues they might still have because of their first marriage. I have been very blessed to see these second marriages enjoy the full blessings of God because that's what God's will is. If that second marriage couldn't receive the full blessings of God, God wouldn't have allowed for it. Now, I trust that this has not only informed you, but that it's blessed you. If you're married, I pray that it helps you understand how great marriage can be. And if you have been divorced or remarried, my prayer is that you now have a clear path to go forward in your life without shame or condemnation. Because that's how God wants you to live. So I want you all to stand up. We're going to close in prayer, okay? And I'm going to pray with you now. But if you would like personal prayer, please come forward to Garrett or myself or the person who's next to you to receive that. Because we don't want you leaving here today without receiving the blessing of God on your life. So Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we've had in your word. Thank you, Father, for your wisdom, which is loving, practical, easily entreated, and just covers everything in our lives. And I ask for your blessing upon everyone who is listening to this. I pray, God, that, and I send it forth with your love that it brings deliverance and peace to men and women all over the church. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.